You are listening to Talking Star Wars. I'm Connor. And I'm Alex. And today we're going to talk about some Star Wars. Yes, particularly in Star Wars today, the lightsaber. I wanted to bring this topic up just because it is one aspect of Star Wars that is Star Wars. You don't see beam swords featured in too many other pieces of media because it is so synonymous with the mythology of Star Wars. Yes, the laser sword or the beam saber or the various other colloquialisms that get used even in universe to describe a lightsaber but it is iconic it is fairly unique uh, at least for the time period that it's in and we wanted to explore today why is the lightsaber so unique and what roles it's filling in the stories that star wars is telling both in a narrative sense and in a genre sense one reason why it, it stands out so much as this iconic visual is because of the technology at the time. No one has ever seen a laser sword. No one has ever seen that special effect created, uh, which was done with a, a dowel with reflective tape, and then with certain lights reflecting off of it, it gives a certain glow. And then when colored, it you know allows us to have the different personalities of lightsabers that we see throughout the series. And uh, just the, the shape of it, the way that it is held, it, it adds this flair of Eastern Samurai Katana to a mythology that is very King Arthur. So it's the ultimate blending of Eastern and Western fantasy ideologies in one concept. Yeah, and the lightsaber, it, everything about it I think is very is constructed and iconic. From the sound a lightsaber makes when it is ignited mm -hmm. um, is incredibly recognizable to anyone of a certain generation, um, and probably from... Connor and I's uh, generation forward and back mm -hmm. to, you know, lightsabers crackling against each other to like the symbol they represent as the symbol of a Jedi in power. It's like when the light, lightsaber shows up, you know, oh, we have gone from hard sci-fi to the more fantastical elements of Star Wars are showing themselves. Because uh, I've, I don't know about you, but I watched the old History Channel Science of Star Wars shows where they would try to delve into, you know, can we actually get uh, a blaster to work in reality? How about a Death Star? And they would argue the, the various validities, but there's nothing quite in reality that ma matches a lightsaber. It's not light. It's not a laser. It is this, this solid plasma type material that can cut through virtually anything. Um, and like you said, it, it represents the, the Jedi culture in Star Wars. And the, the franchise has been very careful of uh, selectively choosing what kinds of characters get to utilize a lightsaber. Uh, out of all of the characters who hold a standard lightsaber, other than one which we'll get to later, I think Han Solo is one of the only non-Jedi that can operate a lightsaber. Well, anyone can operate a lightsaber. It still remains at its base a piece of technology, mm -hmm. but there is a mystical element to it, almost in the same way that there is a mystic element to like a sword, like specific swords in a fantasy literature only king arthur can pull the stone the sword from the stone um the uh, blade from the northmen can only be unsheathed at night or at the very gates of hell there's these rules and powers that are ascribed to these mystical weapons uh, anakin's lightsaber is meant and kept secret for luke uh, there is some uh 
descriptions by George Lucas to say that a lightsaber is heavy and you need two hands to use it and you need to be a force user to operate it because it is this this unwieldy piece of equipment. And we get much more context of that in certain expanded universe material where you learn about the kyber crystal, which is the heart of the lightsaber. And this is what ends it. It's mystical element because a kyber crystal is at heart. It's just a crystal. It's what they use to power the Death Star super laser um, through various synthetic and torturous devices. But it is also a like mystical coming of age journey for a young Jedi Padawan at the time to go and find the kyber crystal to repair their lightsaber or create their lightsaber. That kyber crystal calls out to them and they have this, this personal bond with something that is inanimate. It's inanimate, but it has this mystical quality. Yeah. It is it almost seems like a mineral um, like protrusion of the force into physical reality. And you see you had lots of lore about kyber crystals that has expanded on in the expanded universe from a Padawans go on a journey to get their kyber crystal from a specific cave on the planet of Ilum. You or, see that in the Clone Wars, yeah. And then from expanded on in Fallen Order, where Cal Kestis returns to the same planet when he is truly ready to embrace the role of Jedi Knight, not simply using his master's destroyed lightsaber anymore, but getting his own kyber crystal to put inside the weapon and make it truly his own. Mm-hmm to the lore about how Sith get their kyber crystals, where it requires them to murder a Jedi and then bleed their kyber crystal to um, get the red color that it exists. It is called, they, it is a rite of passage for a Sith to go and kill um, someone who has a kyber crystal. I find to be narratively much more interesting than what was done in Legends. In Legends, uh, kyber is one kind of crystal you can get for your lightsaber. You can get crate, dragon, bloodstone, just that's an endless list that is a byproduct of video games where you can collect different kinds of crystals in order to have different properties and colors of your lightsaber, which now has been unified to the kyber crystal. In Legends, Sith had it a synthetic crystal, and that's why it was red. But I think having it in canon now, where there is a process of of uh, murder. murder and then uh, the subjugation of your will on this mystical crystal in order to cause it to bleed red when it would have been some other color before. Yeah. And then we even get the next step beyond that where Ahsoka Tano, who surrenders her lightsabers and abandons them um, to survive Order 66, um, is then pursued by an Inquisitor and to then have her now iconic white lightsabers, she... Um, it's a very samurai-like duel where the Inquisitor attacks her a single blow, she dodges, and then the kyber crystals within his um, double-bladed Inquisitor lightsaber call to her, and she literally rips them with the force from his lightsaber, the implosion which kills him in a single blow, and then uses those kyber crystals with certain, like, junk and items that have been calling to her throughout the entire novel she then forges with that her own new lightsabers using the kyber crystal from the inquisitor and purifies those crystals so they are now white instead of red it says it's a step beyond a sword in that the forging process is a responsibility of the hero where the hero doesn't go off or the jedi i should say doesn't go off and has the Jedi Forger forged them a lightsaber. They're responsible for cultivating the materials, assembling the weapon through the Force. It's a very personal process in creating this weapon. Yeah. It is, it's also a very Eastern way to do the blade. It well, it is, you see that in other um, other media as well. I'm reminded of 
uh, the Chronicles of Prydain, which is a very classic uh, YA novel where a character has, has been given a sword by his mentor and then tries to use it to fight the antagonist and it is shorn in half. But then later on in the novel, he has forged this ugly sword himself out of iron he mined himself, and it cuts right through the enemy's sword because it's actually forged by the hero with his power of will. And then you also see this in Avatar The Last Airbender where the character of Sokka he has to locate the meteorite iron he forges his own sword out of and actually forge it himself and then learn how to use it. So the Jedi are doing it in the same way where it is less this, the kyber crystal might be mystical and certainly Anakin Skywalker's lightsaber has this sort of legacy passed down to the generations um, aspect to it. But most lightsabers are personally created as an extension of the user themselves. It's a rite of passage. When when Luke makes his green lightsaber, we have this, uh, we see the sense of accomplishment and this sense of uh, uh, individuality because he's been using his father's lightsaber up until this point and he has established his own personality and his own right to bear a lightsaber. Um, and so it's both, it's uh, the kyber crystal sorbs is the mystical element. It is in itself a weapon. It is also a symbol of how, while the Jedi might be like, sort of almost detached monk figures, they are certainly not pacifists. Um, they train with and carry deadly weapons every day of their lives and are trained with them even before times of wartime, you know, in depth to defend the weak and to defend themselves. Mm -hmm. And as shown when Yoda just kills a bunch of clone troopers, if it comes between their own, their, you know, the lives of innocents, um, they do not hesitate to kill. It is or disarm, literally disarm. In Star Wars, at some points, has episodes, especially in the Clone Wars, where it debates pacifism or the character of Satine, um, mm -hmm. the Duchess of Mandalore, where like what is how does pacifism function in a society where violence is required to maintain your hegemony and in, yeah the the freedoms of your society. But the Jedi land heavily on the fact that deadly force is a necessary tool to protect the innocent, and they do not hesitate to employ it. Well, maybe not do not hesitate, but... They don't shy from it. They, do not, they don't shy from having to employ deadly force if necessary. Find, uh, the infamous quote from Obi-Wan telling Anakin that this weapon is your life, which might be kind of a foggy lesson to teach Jedi, but the lightsaber isn't always a weapon for offense. It's also a defensive weapon. It can block. It's uh, um, It can be a tool used to open doors, things like that. It's I, I try not to think of uh, Obi-Wan saying that as a direct means of uh, implying this violent weapon is your life. It's, it's more of a, a symbol of being a Jedi. It's more of a, a tool to be used to enact the will of the force rather than the will of the person so much yeah and we we get more information on non-force wielders wielding um lightsabers particularly in the character of sabine wren in rebels who comes into possession of the dark saber the dark saber and the two examples of weapons that we see that are not personally crafted but are instead like almost artifacts of great cultural or personal value that are passed down from person to person um, is Anakin Skywalker's original lightsaber, which he loses at the Battle of Mustafar. And then there's also the Darksaber, which was made during the Old Republic period by the Mandalorian Jedi, Tar Vizsla. It was stolen from the Jedi after his death by the Mandalorians and serves as mm -hmm. a um, 
symbol of leadership in Mandalorian society. You could argue it was reclaimed by the Mandalores after the Jedi held on to uh, their cultural artifact. This weapon, yes. Yeah. So uh, when it comes to Luke Skywalker's lightsaber, we have an entire episode devoted to the missed opportunity of Luke's lightsaber getting into its uh, allusions to Excalibur and how it could have been better utilized as this uh, symbol in, in the sequel trilogy. Yeah, so if you'd like to learn more about the exact breakdown of Luke Skywalker's lightsaber, go ahead and listen to episode 18. But to just do the very brief version here, it goes from Anakin Skywalker to Obi-Wan Kenobi to Luke Skywalker, lost by Luke Skywalker, recovered by Maz Kanata. In a story that will be told another day. Yeah. To Rey, um, after, briefly used by Finn, back to Rey, then torn in half with a battle with Kylo, and then passed from Rey to Kylo at the end, and then back to Rey. So, it's, this, it's this invincible symbol could have been used as a symbol to show some change, but it, it's uh, reclaimed and reforged time and time again uh, until it is used by uh, its creator's descendant, Ben Solo, as a means of overcoming great evil. Then we do see that same lightsaber used in battle by Finn, who mm -hmm. uses it to fight off a few stormtroopers, more like as a sword than as a lightsaber. You know, yeah, just... incredible weapons training. Yeah, so he's trained in hand-to-hand -hand weapons, so he can use the lightsaber, not to its true potential, maybe. We still believe we are on the thing that Finn is Force-sensitive and needs to be trained in the use of the Force. Very much so. But um, has had no Force training or Force-sensitive ability beyond that. But the only other lightsaber we typically see used in battle by non-Mandalorians is the Darksaber, this other wep legacy weapon that is not forged but is passed down. It is visually distinct from other lightsabers. It's more in the form of an actual katana blade. Flat. Curved. Yeah. We do see other such blades present in other Star Wars media, such as Star Wars Visions. But mm -hmm. in current you know, visual media, um, the Darksaber stands out as the most distinct recurring weapon that is you know, a flat blade. It is sort of, sort of an archaic lightsaber design, made, you know, made from ages past. And we only, we only see it used by a Force-sensitive person once when... Um, Darth Maul, or just Maul at that point, um, reclaims it and uses it for his claim to be the new Mandalore when he's trying to use the resources of Mandalore to survive the attentions of his um, former master, Palpatine. But even much more so than Luke's lightsaber, it's this weapon of legacy where when it's claimed in combat, it allows the, the, the victor to rule Mandalore, the planet of Mandalore and the Mandalorians. Yeah, so it is not just a symbol of personal strength like a lightsaber is or a personal you know, power, but also of um, destiny in Mandalorian society, mm -hmm. where by claiming it, you can you know, claim to be the next Mandalore, but has to be claimed in battle. By being given it, it cheapens the, the weapon. Not that, because Mandalorian culture is problematic in about 17 ways we could list off right now. Um, Depending on the actual curse that may occur if you just are given and gifted the Darksaber rather than winning it. Yeah, but why everyone should go and watch Rebels is we have a episode devoted to Kanan Jarrus, a Jedi, training Sabine Wren, a non-Force-sensitive Mandalorian, in ways to wield the Darksaber effectively. Mm -hmm. And he cannot train her the same way he trains a Jedi. She has no Force training, so he focuses on her understanding of the blade and how even she, because all living beings are connected to the Force, has to um, 
connect with the energy of the kyber crystal within the blade, and that it will be too heavy to use effectively unless you have formed that connection. We see this affecting Din Djarin in the Book of Boba Fett, where he has the Darksaber and uses it in battle, but he, while a trained warrior, is not either a swordsman and not a Jedi. So He's fighting the blade and not his opponent, is that correct? Yeah, and even yeah. the armorer calls this out to him that he is not wielding it effectively. The only non-Force-sensitive individual we do see effectively wield the Darksaber is Bo-Katan Kryze in the third season of The Mandalorian, where she is shown to have forged the connection with the kyber crystal at the heart of the Darksaber, necessary for even a non-Force user to wield the blade. As for Din Djarin... He is resistant, I think, to the image and authority and destiny that the Darksaber lays out to him. Din Djarin being the probable, reluctant future Mandalore, fighting at every step of the way, is one of the most interesting parts of his character. And this is portrayed with the Darksaber serving as sort of this example of how the weapon itself can be a symbol. Uh, the the Darksaber serves as the most modern, interesting uh, facet of uh, lightsaber variations. But I think before we conclude, I'd like to get into some of the other variations we've seen on the standard lightsaber. Oh, yeah, we have the standard single-handed lightsaber, of course, which is what the vast majority of people use. Like a single-bladed lightsaber? Yeah, it is a, yeah. is a straight hilt about a foot long, mm-hmm. a little bit more sometimes, with you know, all of its nodules and rings, and it produces a blade that is um, usually blue-green. If you're a Sith, it's mm-hmm. red. There's other variations like purple and yellow that are more uncommon, but are they're, depicted. Yeah, they're only seen... Well, yellow is seen a good number of times, at least in the Clone Wars, because that's a, a Jedi Temple Guardian color. Yeah, we also see it in Visions a couple mm-hmm. of times with yellow-bladed lightsabers, mm-hmm. and is also shown in as with Temple Guardians again in Rebels. But uh, Mace Windu is the only character to get a purple lightsaber. Yeah, and that might be his unique force abilities that gave him that. But, I mean, Cal Kestis can have a purple lightsaber, too. That's a video game, so the amount of customization present is um, perhaps a a narrative decision more so than a uh, lore decision. The idea of which lightsaber you pick is going to be dubious. There's going to be the one canon lightsaber color that he uses. And that the particular kyber crystal that Cal Kestis gets is more malleable than others and allows him to change the color. Though, if that's a... Is that called a ludonarrative decision or not? Um. Those are the standard lightsabers. And then 1977 to 1999, we get our new lightsaber variation, the double-sided lightsaber. Seen in comic books beforehand, but never in live action. And in episode one of Phantom Menace in 1999, we see Darth Maul wield a double-bladed red lightsaber to hold off both Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon Jinn at the same time. And then we continue to see other characters use double-bladed lightsabers um, from Bastila Shan in Knights of the Old Republic to Cal Kestis in Fallen Order. Pong Krell in the Clone Wars has two double-sided lightsabers. <laughs> yeah, so those are an example of people using double-bladed lightsabers. You get individuals that use two lightsabers, mm-hmm. which is relatively rare because it would require two journeys to get Kuiper crystals. Asajj Ventress in Ahsoka Tano. Though Asajj Ventress is gifted her red-bladed lightsabers by Dooku from Jedi. He had murdered himself already. Um, That brings in, I I believe Asajj Ventress's lightsabers are curved, much like Count Dooku's. The hilt is curved. The same degree that his duelist saber is. Mm -hmm. And then Ahsoka Tano uses, um, unlike these, I guess, more unrealistic 
Not that anything about lightsaber combat is realistic, but typically, in, if you're fighting with two blades, you have one that's longer and one that's shorter. The shorter one often used. Um, two blades of equal length is considered inefficient, but the Ahsoka Tano uses um, two lightsabers, one longer, one shorter. Well, like a katana and a shoto. Yeah. Or um, rapier and dagger. <laughs> that's used for blocking, parrying, sneak attacks, things like that. Uh, I particularly like the the curved blade because, or the curved hilt rather. I think Ahsoka has a slight curve to her hilt, but it's uh, with Dooku's. It's set up very much like a, a fencing saber, where it's it's pointed forward at the opponent and it completely changes the form of lightsaber combat, which we'll get into in a second. Yeah, and this is also calling back to how the forging of each lightsaber is a un- individual decision. Mm-hmm. And we even see some Padawans forging their lightsabers using p- specific materials that they choose and call out to them mm-hmm. um, on a specific ship made for that purpose before it's attacked by pirates, right. because that happens in the Clone Wars. Almost every episode is <laughs> a pirate attack. Um, so, so other variations on the lightsaber, you know, the dark saber looks like a katana, as we talked about before, with an actual blade. Um, there's a double-bladed lightsaber, the curved hilt, present by Dooku and Ventress. And then uh, we have uh, what I believe is the final variation, the cross-guard lightsaber, introduced in A Force Awakens. Yeah, where it's like, someone's like, man, people with lightsabers tend to get their hands chopped off a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we both put some vents to stop my damaged kyber crystal from exploding, but also use it to protect me from getting my hand chopped off? Uh, Kylo Ren is also able to use it as an offensive weapon in... Uh, like a piercer, because he's battling Finn and he's able to use his cross guard blade to uh, puncture his shoulder. It's, it's similar when he's like does a hilt punch against the um, the guards of uh, Supreme Leader Snoke. When it comes to uh, the variations on lightsabers, the way that they're handled, uh, the way that they are used in different fighting forms is varied as well, and they're each. There's at least seven or eight different lightsaber fighting forms. I'm not going to name all of them. Yeah, we don't need to name all of them. There's, yeah. uh, You can look elsewhere. Maybe we'll do another episode about just the lightsaber forms. They've been largely invented, but now have been more embraced in the current canon. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see this in an example when Anakin and Obi-Wan are dueling on Mustafar. They mimic and mirror a lot of the same moves because they... At that point, they both used the same lightsaber form. And Mace Windu uses a very unique lightsaber form. That's why his lightsaber is purple. Demonstrations would be from Star Wars Rebels in the final fight between Kenobi and uh, Maul. You see the change of lightsaber form in Kenobi's stance, going from his more uh, aggressive prequel stance to his more reserved defensive original trilogy stance. And then he defeats... Maul, as we see in a single blow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you get other rarer lightsaber techniques that show up. And I, this is all contributing to the lightsaber mm-hmm. status. It's like this mystical weapon that requires specific training. Uh, it has a connection with the wielder, ma- t- taking them from simply examples of like swords to instead you know, s- mystical and meaningful weapons that are wielded by like warrior monks. Um, there is the Tricotta technique, where in which someone turns off their lightsaber while dueling and then turns it back on inside someone's guard. That's truly unique to the lightsaber because that has no real-world or fictional counterpart. This is something that is pretty exclusive to a lightsaber in its physicality, being able to 
extinguish your blade and then uh, re-engulf it is uh, incredibly handy when it comes to battle subterfuge. As has been established as a rarely used technique, Tricata, because we're doing that against someone, your opponent, who can usually see the future the same way you can, usually just means you die. But we do see it used to great effect in visions against the old the episode the old master where the jedi master um uses this against a distracted sith he is fighting to stab him through the chest when he is distracted by his padawan's lightsaber throw mm-hmm. there's also the lightsaber throw is another technique we see where you throw the lightsaber and then pull it back to you with the force which has very much seen in video games i don't know if it has been accomplished in live action um do we see a lightsaber get thrown at all in live action? Uh, in an uh, offensive way? Does Vader throw his lightsaber? He does. Yeah, no, he thro- no. it's in Return of the Jedi. He throws his lightsaber to sever the pillars that are in columns that are holding up the walkway that Luke Skywalker is hiding on. That seems so dangerous because that's whirling right back at you. And I know they have, they're connected to the Force, but just catching the lightsaber at the wrong part would be disastrous. Yeah, we don't see anyone who's not a Jedi deciding to throw their lightsaber. You know, Finn, Han Solo, and anyone wielding the Darksaber that's not Darth Maul never uh, dream of, like, I'm just going to toss this weapon like a throwing knife. Because, um, one, they can't pull it back to themselves. And, two, you know, it's it's like going to burn its way through the, the ground or the hole of whatever I'm standing on. So, yeah, so lots of fans have given thought to the practical realities of having a, a blade like the lightsaber. One of the coolest, most iconic... Uh, versatile weapons in in fantasy lore. Seeing it replicated, I think uh, in Halo, your beam sword is just a fancy. Uh, the energy sword. The energy Connor. sword. Do you even Halo lore? I, I <laughs> While Star Wars is this amalgam of all different types of media, the lightsaber serves as something that has inspired fiction in return. So it just goes to show the staying power and influence of Star Wars. And where it is fantasy media, but taking its own science fiction twist and building up its own unique lore understanding and a function within the universe it resides in. From the kyber crystal to the lightsaber form to the bond a lightsaber forms with its wielder. Well, thank you for joining us for Talking Star Wars today. We'll see you sometime soon in a galaxy right here.